The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. God's true image is, of course, Jesus Christ, His Son. And we worship Him along with the Father and the Spirit today. And we, uh, this morning, return after a month. It's been three weeks, uh, four weeks now today since we've been in the book of Colossians. So let me invite you to take your copy of the Scriptures and open with me to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. You can find that on the varied page numbers that are there in the bulletin. Uh, Whatever Bible you have, turn with me to the book of Colossians as uh, we are in chapter 2 this morning, looking at verses 6 and 7, Colossians chapter 2. Now, uh, as you're turning there, let me remind you that Colossians is uh, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, which is at this time a town that used to be a booming economic center, now reduced to a very small town. And the congregation at Colossae is a small church meeting in a small town. It's also a new church meeting in an old town. And Paul writes to this congregation because they need to grow and they need to be established in the truth. He writes to them to give direction and encouragement about what the Christian life looks like and what it means to follow Jesus. Now, this is very important, and I want you to pick up on something today that I really, really hope is going to permeate everything you hear. When Paul writes the book of Colossians to this new church meeting in a small town, he is primarily writing to encourage them. The gospel primarily encourages you as a Christian. I am particularly burdened about the fact that I'm afraid that many people think that what the gospel primarily does is scold you. Paul in Colossians is not scolding this church. He is writing to encourage them. He is writing to call them to press on and to keep going and to say that in Jesus Christ you can do it. He is writing to encourage them. And that's an important word for us because as we come into now the body of the text of the book of Colossians, uh, you and I are a people that are so easily discouraged. So easily discouraged. Now before I uh, read the text, before I pray and read the text, let me just tell you uh, something that I was recently extremely discouraged about, okay? I was on the phone with a service tech for uh, my, my water heater. Something had gone a fritz with a thermistor that makes sure that the water doesn't pass by that's overly too hot and potentially scalds you. And about a month ago, they sent me a new part to put in, and they said it was really easy to just install, you know, just do it. And I said, okay, great. Well, a month went by, and I finally did, but I couldn't figure out how to do it, so I called, you know, the help service technicians, and I said, okay, walk me through this. And they say, sure, yeah, no problem. Just do this, 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 just reach down and fix it. Bada bing, bada boom, great. And I said, okay, well... I can't do that because they, they were telling me to, to reach down in a portion of the tank that had an access that was about that big and just reach all the way down to the bottom and I'm on top of a ladder and I can't get my hand in there. And I said, I, I don't know what you're looking at, but I'm looking at this and I can't do this. And uh, I said, have you ever done this? And she said, well, yes, actually I have. And I said, I don't believe you. There's no way that you could fit your hand down in there because I can't fit my hand down in there. I got a pretty exercise. Kenzie was upstairs, probably totally embarrassed. Anyway, so I get totally frustrated. I can't do this. It's not going to work. You're going to send somebody out here and do this for me. I can't do this. Well, 
And she said, why don't you take a breath and try again, call back the next day. So I called back, talked to a different technician, and the first technician had me working in totally the opposite side of the tank. When, once they told me to take off the lid, there's all kinds of room for me to fit my hand down there, and it was in a totally different spot than the first technician had told me to work in, so I got all exercised based off of bad advice, saying, I can't do what you're asking me to do, and then the next person comes along and says, here it is, and I say, oh, I can, I can do that, and I was done in like two minutes. Now, why do I tell you that? One, to embarrass myself, but two, it's really easy to hear somebody giving you direction and you to get overwhelmed and say, I can't do that. And then you're like me, all flustered, get mad about it, and you say, just forget it. Can't do that, forget it. And I want to tell you that because when we have direction in the Scriptures, God gives us direction in the Scriptures, not for us to hear it and say, nope, can't do it. But he gives us directions in the scriptures and gives us the grace to be able to follow through in such a way that we can say, by God's grace, I can, I can do it. I can. I want us to see that today, and I hope with a lot of grace and a lot of encouragement that God supplies the grace we need to live the Christian life. So, let's pray and hear the word of God this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come now in the power of your Spirit to descend upon us, to give us illumination, to give us understanding, to give us love for Christ that commits ourselves to walk in His ways. And so, Lord, would You come and bless Your Word to Your people today. Bless me as I seek to proclaim it, and us all as we sit under its authority, praying that Jesus might be glorified in our midst by the proclamation of the Scriptures, we pray in His name. Amen. And now hear the word of God from Colossians 2 at verse 6. Verse 6 and 7 under the heading Alive in Christ. Hear now the word of God. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. Do keep your Bible open. Let's see what the Lord has to say to us today. Now, again, Paul writes uh, this book to the Colossian church, this new church in an old place that was very small, and to this new church that was full of people essentially asking, look, like, where do I start, and, and what do I do, and what does this life look like? You tell me about Jesus, and you're calling me to follow him, but what does, that, what does that look like? Who is Jesus, and what does it mean to follow him, and what does it mean to live my life as a disciple of Jesus? And so Paul writes to answer those questions, and to give instruction, and to make sure this church is headed out in the right direction with encouragement and grace, and loved ones, you and I need to hear that same message today. Now, what you need to know about where we are in the book of Colossians here at chapter 2, verse 6, is that you'll notice that 2.6 begins with the word, therefore, and when in the Bible you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what's the word therefore, therefore? And it's to tell you that everything that has preceded this point has actually been in the book of Colossians uh, all introduction. 
I've said several times over the last couple months that the introduction to Colossians runs from 1-1 to 2-5, and all of that is the beginning. It's all introduction because 2-6 is the hinge point where he says, now in light of that, now I want to teach you. Everything has been introduction. Think about everything that he said so far. He's talked about the ministry of the gospel that's going on in the world that has made its way to Colossae, the gospel that they have come to believe, the gospel of the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the one who holds all things together, the one who has preeminence over all things, the head of the body of the church. And Paul says, this Jesus is being ministered amongst you now. Now let me tell you what it means to walk in Him. So, you'll see again the hinge point at 2.6. The therefore is, now let me tell you what it means to live the Christian life. Now let me tell you what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So what I want us to see in these just two verses is these three realities. The three realities of the riches in Christ, the response to Christ, and the resources of Christ. Coming out of there, verse 2, 6, and 7, Paul says, Let me say, therefore, what I am calling you to do in response to the glory of Jesus Christ. This is what you must do. So first of all, let's see in in verse 6, the riches that are in Christ. Paul says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. So before he's going to get to his his word of encouragement, his word of command, he is reminding you that you, Colossian believer, you, Christian believer, have received Jesus Christ as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, I'm going to warn you that there's going to be a lot of grammar in this text because what the Apostle Paul is doing is wonderfully helpful if we understand how he is saying what he's saying. When he says, you have received Christ, we can see even in English that received is in the past tense, right? He's saying, this is what has happened to you. You have, in the past, received Christ. It's a past action with continuing implications. Now, when we use this word in in the modern sense, when we talk about receiving Christ, we have kind of... uh, hijacked the term in a Christian kind of American culture that when we talk about receiving Christ, we mean just becoming a Christian. That to receive Christ is to receive Him as Lord and Savior. And and that's true in one sense. But when the Apostle Paul here says that you have received Christ, he means it in the sense that if you were here last Sunday, you received the announcement of the resurrection. To receive Christ in this sense is to have a truth declared to you and then for you to respond to that truth with faith. To receive Christ is to hear the proclamation of Christ and to receive it in faith, responding with trust, hearing it in faith. That's what Paul means when he says, you have received Christ. It's what he says is, you've heard the preaching of the gospel, you've responded to the preaching of the gospel, you've committed yourself to Christ in the preaching of the gospel. All of that is what he means when he says, you have received Christ. And he is Christ the Lord. And Paul has spent much ink in the first chapter saying, 
who this Christ the Lord is. In fact, if you go back through chapter 1, you can see several important truths that Paul has said about Jesus. Back in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. That is to say that God, who is a spirit, has made himself visible. The unseen God is now seen in Jesus Christ. That's how significant Christ is. He is also, in chapter 1, verse 27, the mystery of God revealed. Christ is the riches of the glory of the mystery of God revealed to you. And so when Paul says, you have received Christ, he's not talking about just any Lord, not just any Savior, but the second person of the Trinity who makes God visible, who reveals God's mystery, this Christ. He is telling these Christians, you have received Christ. And let me ask you something of a review of last week, really. When you receive Christ, when you believe in Christ, what do you get? What are the benefits? Last week we, we mentioned the benefits of a resurrected Savior, and we said there are many of them, but we talked about the forgiveness of sins and a new life and a clean conscience. You are adopted into the family of God, and you are transformed, and you are given eternal life. All of these things you get when you receive Christ. And Paul says, let me remind you of who He is. Let me remind you of what you receive when you receive Christ. Now, something of a caveat to that, though, is... Last week, I used those words coming out of the Scriptures, big words, right? Justification and sanctification and glorification. And let me tell you that when I started to learn those things, when I started to learn those truths out of the Bible, it became very easy for me to be excited about those truths and be excited about what I was learning, which is a good thing, but I found myself being pulled into this sense that what I am most excited about is knowing this truth. I am most excited about learning these words, knowing this truth, and having a greater intellectual sense of what the Christian faith is. And what ended up happening is that I begin to think that the glorious riches of Christ is just knowledge about Him. And what I want to emphasize to us this morning is that Paul says that we have received Jesus Christ the Lord. And I want to say to you that the greatest blessings, the greatest treasures of the Christian life is not just knowledge about Jesus. It's not just learning truths about Jesus. The greatest treasure of the Christian life is Christ Himself. The second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God. Paul says, you, Christian believer, have received Christ. Christ Himself. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus doesn't say, come to the knowledge about me. He says, come to me. And that's a corrective word to people like me who oftentimes learn something and get so excited about what I'm learning that you ended up being diverted away from the point of why you learned it, which is to know the Savior more. So, even though we said last week that in Jesus Christ, in the resurrected Savior, we have the blessings of justification and sanctification and glorification, Jesus doesn't say, come to justification and you will receive rest. Come to sanctification and you will receive rest. Come to glorification and you will receive rest. No, He says what? Come to me. And a great mistake of the Christian life is just thinking 
about truths about Jesus and not thinking about Jesus. Paul says, you, Christian believer, have received Christ himself. The glory of Jesus Christ is what you have received. And because you received it, because you have received this riches, there is a response. So the riches in Christ is Christ himself. Therefore, as you received Christ, massive statement, this is what you should do. This is the response. The response to Christ here in verse 6 and 7. Notice Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, there it is, so walk in Him. Walk in Him. Now Paul has hinted at this language already. Back in chapter 1, verse 10, he talks about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit. That's chapter 1, verse 10. So Paul has already used this language of walking in Christ, and he will spend the rest of the book of Colossians, especially chapter 3, saying more about this. But the hinge point of the book of Colossians there in verse 2, 6, and 7 is, in light of this glorious truth, in light of the fact that you have received Christ Jesus, in light of the riches that are in Jesus Christ, here comes the Apostle Paul giving you this word of command. Walk in Him. Now this... this encouragement, this, this counsel, this command, walk in Him. It's a figurative expression. To walk in Christ means to live your life or to lead your life. And I want to be very clear about this. This is, in a, a Greek tense, it's an imperative. That means it's a command. When Paul says walk in Him, there's an exclamation point, if we could put it there. And that's an important thing to emphasize because when there is an imperative in the Bible, it's not a suggestion. It is a command. Do this. There is an imperative. Now we said, keep talking about last week, we talked about the fact that the Christian life is, there is an indicative, there is a truth that is de declared, and then in light of that truth, there comes an imperative. But the truth of the gospel always comes first, and then the command of the gospel follows it. The gospel is not, do this so God will love you. No, the gospel is, God has done this to display His love for you, and then calls you to respond. The imperative comes after the indicative. What is true comes first, and then you're told what to do. But listen to me very carefully. In the Bible, you are told what to do. You are given commands. And they're not suggestions. You know, we prefer suggestions, don't we? We would prefer that Paul say something like, Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, walk in Him if you feel like it. Because it would alleviate the sense of responsibility to obey the command. Because we live in a culture that is so subjectively authoritative, according to all of my own personal emotions, that I should walk in Him, but only if I feel like it today. Right? No. Paul says, walk in Him. Another thing to kind of emphasize about this is that this is called, again, grammatically, 
a circumstantial participle. Okay, what the heck does that mean? That means that when Paul says, you have received Christ, so walk in him, and there is a connection between the receiving and the walking. That is to say, that receiving Christ leads to walking in Christ. That if you have received Christ, you must walk in Him. And you can't receive Him and not walk in Him. If you've received, you must walk. And he's talking about living your life. He's talking about the pattern of your life. He's talking about the choices that you make and the commitments that you make and the passions that you pursue. The decisions and the commitments. The life that you live, Paul says, that is that if you have received Christ, you must walk in Him. And in fact, most originally it says, in Him walk. Hopefully this point is very clear about the commands. But let me tell you something about how the Bible issues commands. When the Bible issues commands, there's always promises given with the commands. And I want you to notice this by the fact that when the Apostle Paul says, so walk in Him, he then gives you right away three pictures about what it looks like to walk in Him. That we are walking in vital living union with Him. We are walking with the Christ we have received. We're called to walk in that living relationship with Him. And that looks like this, he says. So walk in Him, verse 7, rooted, built up, and established. Those three things come with the command. Walk in Him, rooted, built up, and establishing him. Think, think about it just quickly, these three pictures. Walking looks like being rooted. Walks like, walking looks like being built up. Walking looks like being established, rooted, built up, established. Three pictures. The first one is agricultural, isn't it? Rooted. And it's a, it's a passive verb as if Paul is saying, as you walk in Christ, you are rooted. God has rooted you. He's talking about the roots that are sunk down deep to derive life and nourishment to you as you walk. If you are rooted in Christ, it means that your life and nourishment are drawn from Him and you are not dependent on the particular season for your nourishment because you are not externally nourished. You are internally nourished through the rooted union we have with Christ. Life and nourishment, Paul says. You're rooted in Christ. You also have, by way of your roots, security so that when the winds are blowing around you, you have a foundation. Paul says, walk in Him, but you're walking is a rooted walking. Doesn't that sound counterintuitive? I'm supposed to be moving, but you're talking about the roots that I have that keep me in place. That's why it's a beautiful picture. Paul calls you to walk, to make progress, to go and to move, but as you go, you're rooted. God roots you into Christ. Walking looks like being rooted. Walking also looks like, he says, being built up in Him. Again, it doesn't make sense. This is an architectural metaphor. You're talking about making progress, but you're talking about building a building. The buildings don't travel down the road normally. Paul says you're being built up. As you walk, you are being built up. You are, in this sense, God's renovation project. A renovation project involves destruction, doesn't it? Something has to be torn down. Renovation projects involve construction, being positively built up. 
But God says, as you walk in Christ, God is at work to build you up, to tear down and build up so that you would be built in Him. Walking looks like being rooted. Walking looks like being built up. Walking looks like established. Paul says, so walk in Him, being rooted, built up, and established. So he's used an agricultural metaphor, an architectural metaphor. This is a legal metaphor. It doesn't immediately come out in English. It's not very clear, this idea of being established, but it's actually a legal term where in the first century, if something was established, it was stamped. It was certified. It was authorized. So to say, Paul is saying, as you walk in Christ, God is establishing you. He is giving you assurance. He is giving you confidence. He is giving you certainty. So do you notice then how this command to walk comes out? Paul says, you are called to walk. You're called to make progress. You're called to live your Christian life in obedience to Jesus. But as you do that, you are being rooted, built up, and established. Do you notice? All those things are what God is doing. God is the one who roots you in Christ. God is the one who builds you up. God is the one who establishes you. And so what you have in Colossians 2, 6, and 7 is this emphatic command to live your life in obedience to Jesus with the reminder that your ability to do that is based on God. God is the one who enables you to fulfill this command. It sounds a lot like what Paul says in Philippians 2.12, which oftentimes really gets people excited. Philippians 2.12, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But it is God who is at work in you to will and to work His good pleasure. That is to say, the gospel is two sides of the same coin. So listen very carefully to what the apostolic instruction is. When Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, says, do this, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Live your life in obedience to Jesus. But every time there's a command, there's a promise that God is at work in you to give you the strength to do this. If you hear one thing this morning, hear this. There is no command in the Bible that is not filled with the grace to obey the command. Everything God commands you to do, He supplies the strength to enable you to do it. Do you see why that's so important? You can't be like me on the phone to the technician saying, can't do that. Can't do that. Can't forgive him can't love her, can't hold back my anger, can't do that. You know why? Because if you're like me on the other phone, have you ever done this? Jesus says, yes. And because I have, Jesus says, I give you all the strength that you need to do everything I command you to do. There is no command in the Bible that God issues to you that He does not supply the strength that you need to fulfill it. In Christ, God gives me the strength to obey. That's why, that's why we promise when we join the church, you know, we promise to live as becomes the followers of Christ. That doesn't mean we promise to be perfect. 
but it does mean that we promise to live as a Christian. And what does that look like? Well, Paul goes on. He's talked about the riches that are in Christ, the response to Christ, which is to obey Him by walking. And then thirdly, there in verse 7, I want you to see the resources that we have in Christ. Riches and response and resources. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Notice these two things that you've been taught. Paul says, as you were taught. He uses a very particular word that we call the didache, which is the the, the body of apostolic teaching. That which has been handed down from the apostles, uh, Paul is reminding the Colossians that you have received the faith. You were taught the faith. You are an heir to the faith. This is why this matters. It's very helpful. You and I don't get to determine what the faith is. That means that you and I don't get to determine what it means to walk in Jesus We're told what it means to walk in Jesus. We're told what it means to obey God. We're given explicit instruction about what that looks like. We don't get to sit back and say, well, for you, walking in Jesus might look like this, but for me, it looks like this, and it's totally different and contradictory even. For me, walking in Jesus means that I get to do whatever I want whenever I want it. I don't don't think that's what it means. Paul says, you have received the truth. You have been taught the truth. It's good news because we don't have to reinvent the truth. We also don't have to invent it. We have a course of direction. When the Apostle Paul calls you to walk, he doesn't send you off aimlessly wandering. No, Jesus says there's a narrow road and there's a gate to pass through. Come and walk on it. This road. Don't wander around aimlessly. I have shown you the way. We don't have to reinvent the truth. We are not directionless, making it up as we go. We have a body of truth handed down from the apostles throughout the generations to say, this is the Christian faith. This is the unchanging truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Loved ones, that's why it's so important amidst all of the pressures that are around us that we feel so inclined to say, well, you know, for 2,000 years, Jesus said this, but you know what? In the last 20, he's changed his mind. Not the case. Christ calls us to walk in his ways. The Apostle Paul calls us to walk in the ways of Christ, and he teaches us what that looks like. And as we go, we should be, do you see it there at the end of verse 7? Abounding in thanksgiving as you walk, As you walk in the way that you've been taught, walk with an abounding thanksgiving, a worshipful gratitude. The Apostle Paul will also say, ask this question, what do you have that you have not received? And the answer is, of course, nothing. Everything that I have, I have received. Which is why Paul says, you have received Christ. And receiving Christ means that you have all that you need in order to walk, in order to press on, in order to keep going. So hear it very clearly. There's a word of encouragement and a concluding word here. To you, tender-hearted Christian, who are so often quick to say, I can't do it. 
the gospel says that in Jesus Christ you can. The gospel says that in Jesus Christ you can obey. In Christ, by Christ, through Christ, you can do it. You can keep going and you can press on as you walk in Him. Now, you'll be glad to know that the Apostle Paul will then spend the rest of this letter saying exactly what that means to walk in Him. And I don't know exactly where every single one of you are at relative to the points of tension in your life where you're having to make choices about what it looks like to to do this or to do that. But regardless of who you are and the circumstances of your life, you are called as a Christian believer who has received Christ to walk in Him. And I want you to hear it emphatically today. Everything that God commands you to do, He gives you the grace to obey. Loved ones, you can do it in Christ. I feel like a coach, like a pep talker up here, right? But the Apostle Paul is saying, go get them. You can do it. You can in Christ. Loved ones, lift up your hearts and be at peace in Christ. You have all the grace you need to obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ... We have strength and power and hope and joy because you have rooted us deeply. You have built us up and you have established us. So Lord, call us wherever you will. Call us to do whatever it is that pleases you. And as you do so, give us all the grace we need to obey. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.